this Resurrection Sunday. The sermon text we are going to consider is Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 36. Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 36. And uh, this text is a portion of Peter's sermon at Pentecost, a sermon in which he explains to the crowd that was gathered that day, he explains the importance of Jesus' resurrection from the dead, what we are celebrating this morning. And as we consider Acts chapter 2 and these verses, uh, we are going to look particularly at verse 24, that death could not keep Jesus in its grip. I invite you to please follow along as I read the scripture passage. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Well, we consider this passage This morning, Peter says very clearly then in verse 23, a truth that we know is attested to uh, by the rest of the New Testament, that Jesus was crucified and killed at the hands of lawless men. We consider that this morning. We see the first point in the sermon outline is that it was possible for Jesus to die. It was possible for him to die. To die. Now, this might seem like a no-brainer, right? Uh, Of course, it was possible for Jesus to die because he was fully man. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, but he was born of Mary. But 
You know, as much of a no-brainer as uh, we might think this is, uh, there are some who believe that Jesus was not able to die because they believe he was not fully human. Um, that while he was on earth, he was, in a sense, more God, more divine uh, than he was human. Uh, these heresies, these false teachings, they began as early as the first century. Uh, one heresy known as Docetism, taught that uh, Jesus only appeared to be human. Uh, Docetism taught that the incarnation was impossible, that you know, God never took on human flesh because they taught that matter is evil and it's beneath God, beneath divinity to take on uh, matter. It taught that when Jesus Christ died, therefore, during his crucifixion, he never actually suffered because he was never actually human. He only, again, appeared to be a man. Now, the Apostle John directly refuted this heresy in his letters. He writes in 1 John chapter 4, verses 2 through 3, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. John, they're emphasizing that the truth is that Christ has come in the flesh and the Holy Spirit testifies to this throughout the scriptures. And he says, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Any revelation that somebody might claim that Jesus was not fully human, that revelation is not from God. John writes to emphasize this important doctrine, Christ came in the flesh. He was fully divine, but he was also fully human. Therefore, loved ones, you see, it was possible for Jesus to die. But we need to understand this morning that it was not just possible for Jesus to die, uh, but the scriptures testify to the fact that it was necessary for him to die. It was necessary. Why is that? Well, because the wages of sin is death, and by his death, Jesus paid the debt for our sin. We remember that uh, God warned Adam in the Garden of Eden that if he ate of the forbidden fruit, uh, if he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the warning was that he would surely die. Now, the opposite would have happened if he had been obedient to God. He would have lived. He would have merited life, everlasting life. But we know that Adam disobeyed God. And by his sin, the curse of sin came upon him and upon all those who are descended from him. There's a saying that in Adam, in his fall, we sinned all. So the penalty for Adam's sin, which was death, it didn't just fall upon Adam and Eve, but it fell upon all their descendants because Adam was the representative for all of humanity. But we know, loved ones, that, that God had a plan. He had a plan to rescue humanity. See, rather than, than letting us all perish in our sins, uh, he sent his son to live in obedience to him. He sent his son to do what Adam failed to do. And he also sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to pay for Adam's sin to die in the place 
of his people. And so when Jesus came into the world, he came without sin. See, he was born of Mary, but he was conceived of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, he he was not under the curse of, of Adam's sin. And so his mission was to save a people for his glory as the sinless one sent from God to die in their place. And this is why, you know, when John the the baptizer, when he saw Jesus, his response was, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John there was looking at Jesus and he was saying, the same way that the Passover lamb died and, and its blood was shed for sin, John identifies Jesus as the true Passover lamb whose blood atoned for every race and sprinkles now the throne of grace. That's who Jesus was and is. And and Jesus himself, Jesus himself was fully aware of his mission to die in the place of his people. Uh, And Jesus told his disciples on three separate occasions in the Gospel of Mark that he was going to die. Three distinct, separate occasions in which he very directly told his disciples about his mission to die for the sins of his people. In Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 34, Jesus described with complete accuracy what awaited him in Jerusalem. And, you know, if you have an ESV Bible, the heading before this passage is in capital letters. And the heading reads, Jesus foretells his death a third time. So that it's clear about how important it is that this is a third passion prediction that Jesus gives to his disciples. We read in Mark chapter 10, verses 32 through 34. Listen to the detail with which Jesus describes his coming death. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen to him, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise." And so, dear friends, we must must never think that Jesus' death was accidental or unexpected. Um, Around 30 years ago, uh, my aunt was killed in a car accident. Um, Her death was a complete shock to our family. She was just running errands one day. It was just a normal day. And she was T-boned by a drunk driver at an intersection. Her death was unexpected. It was a complete shock to our family. But not Jesus' death. He willingly, voluntarily, purposefully, knowingly laid down his life. Notice Peter's words in our passage this morning in Acts chapter 2. As Peter addresses the crowd in his sermon, he says in verse 22 and 23, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, 
a man attested to you by God with mighty works and, and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, and you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Peter here is testifying to the truth of God's plan from all eternity, See that God ordained the death of his son. It was a death that, that Jesus willingly undertook, a death that was necessary to save sinners who were perishing because of Adam's sin, a death that would be carried out, as we see Peter declares, by sinful men. And so we see, loved ones, that the Scriptures testify to the fact that it was possible for Jesus to die because he was fully human, and it was also necessary for him to die to bear the curse for our sin. But if you notice in our text, uh, Peter says something very important in verse 24. He says something that you might not have uh, considered. Uh, Peter says that though Jesus died... He says, it was not possible for death to hold him. He says, it was impossible for death to hold Jesus in its grip. That's the second point in our sermon outline. Jesus had, Peter says, he had to be raised from the dead. It was not possible for him to stay in the tomb. His resurrection, the historical event that we are celebrating this morning, Peter says it had to happen. Why? There are four reasons why it was impossible for death to hold Jesus in its grip. The first is that it was impossible for Jesus, for death to hold Jesus because of prophecy, because of prophecy. Uh, Notice Peter's explanation in his sermon in our text from Acts chapter 2. See that after Peter declares that it was impossible for death to hold Jesus, Peter then quotes from Psalm 16, the Psalm of David, uh, which we read for our first reading this morning. Uh, David wrote in this psalm that God would not abandon him to the grave or let his Holy One see decay. And notice the quote that Peter has from Psalm 16. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, You will make me full of gladness with your presence. But then, if you notice in his sermon, uh, Peter goes on and he explains that this psalm is actually speaking about Jesus. David's son, it's speaking about uh, Jesus, who was the promised Messiah from David's lineage. Uh, Notice verse 29, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and 
his tomb is with us this day. What Peter is saying there is that we all know that David died. Uh, in fact, Peter says, we can go, we can go visit his tomb and, and we could, you know, see his bones there. His, his bones are still there. His, it's still decaying. His body is seeing corruption. And so, therefore, Peter says, <clears throat> David wasn't speaking about himself in this psalm, because his body is seeing decay in his tomb at this very moment. No, he was speaking prophetically about Jesus Christ, about his descendant. Notice Peter's emphasis in verses 30 through 31. Being, therefore, a prophet, and, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, David foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to, to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Peter emphasizing there that in the resurrection, God delivered Jesus from the power and from the curse of death. The power and the curse of death that was enforced until the very moment when Jesus was raised. Jesus' body was no longer in the tomb. What God had revealed to David that his descendant would not see corruption came to pass. The prophecy was fulfilled. Peter explains in verse 32, this Jesus, God, raised up. And of that, he says, we are all witnesses. We are all witnesses, says Peter. We are witnesses to the empty tomb. We are witnesses because of the fact that Jesus appeared not just to one or two or three people, but Paul says to over 500 people. And Paul goes on to say you can go and interview them because they're still alive. The tomb is empty. This is one of the reasons, loved ones, that Jesus had to be raised. Because of what God had revealed centuries beforehand, and we know that God's word always comes to pass. It never fails. And there are, there are more reasons why it was impossible for death to hold Jesus. We saw first that it was impossible because of prophecy. Secondly, it was impossible because of his person. Because of his person. He is God, when he took on our flesh at his uh, incarnation, when he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and, and born of Mary, he did not stop being divine. Uh, he did not you know, cease being God during his earthly ministry. But he was always the God-man, loved ones. He was always fully God and, and fully man in one person. And, and his two natures, his divine nature and his human nature, they cannot be separated or, or divided one from the other. They are united in the one person of Christ. And so, so even in the tomb, Jesus' humanity was still allied to his divinity. That even in the tomb, there was no separation between them. And loved ones, because of that, Jesus' resurrection was sure. Jesus' 
said this very thing in John chapter 10, verses 17 through 18. Listen to the surety with which Jesus speaks about his resurrection. He says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority, he says, to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. And Jesus very clearly revealed that his divine nature would be active in his resurrection. He was able to take his life up again. And there's a saying that you can't keep a good man down. That saying implies that people with a strong will, who have a lot of self-determination, those kinds of people will overcome obstacles, will overcome all kinds of challenges. Uh, Loved ones, this this applies in an infinite way to the God-man, to Jesus, that because of his divine nature, it was impossible to keep him down. Third, uh, it was impossible for death to hold Jesus because of God's eternal plan, because of God's eternal plan. We know that God's plan from all eternity was to redeem a people through his Son for his glory. It's God's plan from all eternity. God's plan is that Jesus would accomplish our salvation and that he would then be glorified in heaven as the Redeemer of God's elect, as the one who died for our sins, as the Lamb who was slain from before the foundations of the earth, that his Son would and will forever be glorified in that way. The Lord Jesus explained this to his disciples, though when he explained it, they didn't really understand what he meant. He explains in John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5, in his high priestly prayer. This is a text that you know, we keep coming back to as a church because it so clearly reveals the plan of God, the plan of our salvation. John chapter 17, we read that Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. You see, God's eternal plan was that Jesus would come to accomplish our salvation and then to return to the Father, that he would be raised in glory. And and Jesus prayed in John 17, Father, Glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So we see that that Jesus came to earth, that he he was born under the law, and, and he suffered all of his life, and that his sufferings intensified during that last week of his life, especially during his crucifixion, 
and most especially during those few moments in which the wrath of God was being poured out upon him. But he, he did it all, loved ones. He, he did it all knowing that he would return to the Father. God's plan from all eternity was that, that Jesus would, would be a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, not just during his earthly ministry. That, that he would be a king forever, seated in glory, not just a king while he was uh, alive on the earth. This is God's plan from all of eternity. And lastly, we see that it was, it was impossible for death to hold Jesus because of his perfect obedience. Because of his perfect obedience. We noted the impossibility uh, stemmed from prophecy from his person, from God's plan. And lastly now we know it was impossible for death to hold Jesus because of his perfect obedience. Jesus perfectly obeyed the Father. We read in in John chapter 17, uh, and you might have noticed that in those verses, Jesus referred to the work that the Father had given him to do. Uh, Jesus was referring here to the eternal covenant of redemption, uh, the agreement that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit entered into to save a people for his glory. In this covenant that was established before creation, uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit agreed together to achieve a common purpose the glory of God and the salvation of the elect. God the Father outlined the conditions of this agreement, this covenant. The conditions included that the Son would take on a true human nature. He would become a man like Adam. And he would fulfill all the demands of the law by his active obedience. That he would fulfill the law perfectly where Adam failed Christ would succeed. And then God the Son would also suffer the wrath and judgment of God by his, what we call his passive obedience. The obedience that he would render unto God in taking the penalty of our sin upon himself. He would take his people's sin upon himself in their place. And that's what, loved ones, Christ came to do. He came to do the will of God. And we see that he not only came to do it, but he accomplished it perfectly. In his incarnation, uh, Christ took on our flesh. He took on the very same flesh that sinned against God in the garden. And that continues to sin against him every day with a high hand. Christ took on flesh. He took on a body that was prepared for him. And he came to do the Father's will to render perfect obedience, all the obedience that was required by God's law. And this is why the angel, you remember, told Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That even before Jesus was born, it was already foretold that he would be an offering for the sins of his people. Jesus, loved ones, is the only one who loved God, with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
In John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus said, my food, my food. What I survive on, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And his full obedience, loved ones, because he accomplished it perfectly, his full obedience merited resurrection. Uh, And so death, therefore, had no claim upon him. Jesus could not stay dead because he had perfectly atoned for his people's sin. He had merited life. Where Adam had earned only death, Jesus merited life. And so his resurrection, therefore, was the demonstration that his death was satisfying to his father. And now, you know, we need to consider the application of all of this to our own lives, which is the third point of the sermon outline, that it was not just impossible for Jesus to be held by that death, but loved ones, it is impossible for death to hold those who are united to Christ by faith, for Christians. Because what we have been talking about, loved ones, is not just a a marvelous fact of history, that Jesus rose from the dead. It's not just a wonderful historical event for us to to think about and to reflect on uh, this morning. But we need to understand that every aspect of his resurrection affects us, here and now. The Apostle Paul writes in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 20 through 22, about how the resurrection affects us, the resurrection of Christ. And he describes it as the first fruits. We read in 1 Corinthians 15, beginning of verse 20, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. What does it mean that Jesus' resurrection was the first fruits? What is Paul talking about here? Well, the idea of of first fruits is from the Old Testament, from the Old Testament where God instructed Israel to bring their offerings to him, offerings like wine and grain and animals. And God said in Exodus chapter 23, verse 19, that the best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. The first fruits were the best portion of what Israel had, and that was to be given to God. And it was to be given to God because it was representative of the whole of what God had given to them. Because we know that everything belongs to God, loved ones. And so the first fruits was just a portion. It was a portion that represented the whole. And so when Paul says that Jesus is the first fruits, uh, he is saying that his resurrection from the dead, it represents what will happen to all believers who are united to Jesus by faith. His resurrection represents what will happen to his whole church in the last day. See, in this life, loved ones, God has raised us from spiritual death. He has given us life. We read about the good news in Ephesians chapter 2, 
that though we were dead in trespasses and sins, God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul here in Ephesians 2 is, is talking about the reality of what Christ has accomplished for his people. That by his death and resurrection and ascension, he has taken the penalty of our sins upon himself. And not only that, but he has broken the power of sin. And so sin is no longer reigning over us, but Christ reigns over us as our risen and our ascended king. But loved ones, we can go even further and say that Christ is also the first fruits of what will happen to all those who believe in him on the last day. On that last day when we too will be raised physically, when our bodies will be raised to newness of life. And it's impossible that that not happen. If we are united to Christ by faith. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 22 through 23, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ, the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. See, loved ones, Christ's resurrection guarantees that we will be raised bodily like he was. It's it's impossible that death will hold us because we are united to our living, reigning Savior. And in him, all shall be made alive. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, on this joy-filled Easter, we rejoice as we think about Christ, our risen and ascended Lord that in raising him from the tomb, you have given us a sure sign of your power to deliver us from sin and death. And Lord, we thank you that you have given us a preview of that glorious day when you will renew all of your creation that now groans under sin. We pray that you would grant us to live in light of Jesus' resurrection, to know that we have been raised with Christ and are are even now seated in the heavenly places with him, and that in the last day we will also be raised in glory just as he was raised in glory. We thank you for this wonderful promise, and we pray that you would daily apply it to our hearts and our minds. Hear us as we pray to you, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.